Welcome to WEMcast with myself, Owen Walker, critical care paramedic and trauma lead for World Extreme Medicine. So today's podcast is focused on the world's toughest race that is airing currently on Amazon Prime and also to which I was extremely fortunate to be involved with as part of the WEM medical cover for the event. So the race itself encompassed trekking by foot, traveling in various non-motorized forms of transportation, including paddling, sailing in an outrigger, paddleboarding, mountain biking, whitewater rafting, rappelling, climbing, canyoneering, and billy-billy rafting. That's 10 domains of discipline with only a map and compass to navigate through these various terrains. So these terrains encompassed an ocean leg, sailing and paddling in an outrigger for 40 miles, a jungle leg, covering almost 100 kilometers in in three sections, a river leg that started with 63 kilometers of biking followed by 30 kilometers of whitewater rafting, and then a jungle trek, a highland leg where teams trek through the jungle uh, to the base of uh, of Rua Falls and climbing a thousand feet and then swimming nine kilometers through a series of cold pools. And then an island leg, which was um, a 77 kilometer mountain bike, uh, then a stand-up paddleboard, finally a 12 kilometer, sorry, a 45 kilometer journey um, with an outrigger to finish on Minor Island. So this was an amazing experience to see this firsthand and to see 66 teams battling the elements in the, in the island. So what better way to, to regale and to recollect this event than with the only UK team that, uh, that raced in Fiji with, um, a Joe, with Joe Selby. So Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Wow, what an introduction. That brought chills. That really did. What, what, a, what a great introduction. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. Currently, um, currently based in Cairo, so it's very different weather to the English climate. But, um, but, but, Joe. So, just just looking at your past um, and looking at the fact you've raced all over the world, um, was this your was this your toughest race to date, um, or or have you have you raced tougher? I certainly think for me it was the toughest race I've done. Yeah. The sheer length of it, the different disciplines, the unknown elements, all in all, when you when you add it up together, it was the toughest race I've ever done. And so just looking at uh, at the um, your, at your background before we kick off with really the, the race itself, because it was such an intricate race over 466 miles, which is just amazing, really. But so... Am I right in thinking you work very much in, in the city? You used to, you, you you used to work in Canary Wharf, but um, but how how different is that terrain to 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 where you're where where you are now? Um, I would say very different. I think in my application, I said I was hoping to swap the concrete jungle of London for the for the jungles of Fiji, and it certainly was a. Uh, you know, when you get out into these racing environments, it's certainly very different to what you've got at home. And um, very much, I'm an office worker, so to speak. Um, so spend my nine to five working in the office, and then try and spend my five to nine adventuring in weird and wonderful places, either around the UK or when I'm lucky enough around the world. That's fantastic, Joe. So, where else in the world have you have you done some of these adventure races? So I, I've raced throughout Europe, um, you know, France, all, all throughout the UK, Spain. I've, I've done similar races, although not adventure races through Europe. I've done other adventure races 
in places like South Africa, Ecuador, China, um, other non-adventure races in, you know, the States, uh, Japan, Singapore. So I certainly do feel fortunate to have had the opportunity to take part in such races um, all over the globe. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to travel, a wonderful way to see different parts of the world. That's fantastic. So, I mean, being there last year with, with yourself and the UK team, it was fantastic just to see the interaction of different teams and different nations sort of coming together. And um, how was it for you? Sort of, uh, did, did you did you um, did you get on or speak to or or make new friends with various teams from across the world? Yeah. So one of the most amazing parts of a race was the fact that it was such a such a, a diverse competitor group. There were teams there from over 30 countries. And look, I'm not an Olympian. I've never been to the Olympics. But I imagine the, you know, when I went into the resort in the days before the race, there's flags there from countries all over the world. I imagine it kind of had that very much Olympic village type feel. It was amazing meeting people, like-minded folk from, from all over the world. Wonderful. That's fantastic. So just digging down into some of the details. So um, having been at the start and watched the start of the race, which was on an outrigger um, and, you you know, you were paddling or sailing sort of 40 miles over to Overlau Island. How was that start for you? Because there was there was certainly a frenetic kind of activity from the from the start, from from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah, so I think if I was to sum up the start in a word, I would say chaos. It was pure, unadulterated chaos. You know, so you've got six to six teams. Um, we're putting these Kamakau canoes, these traditional Fijian boats, which had been built specifically for the show. So none of the teams had really had any experience in these boats apart from, you know, an hour tutorial in terms of how to raise the sail, how to steer them, how to upride them if they ever tip over and then you've got 66 teams highly energized individuals all wanting to get stuck into this race you know a race that we've been looking forward to for months the conch goes from the start you realize these 66 teams are on a river can't be more than 50 meters wide and it was chaos there was boats bashing into each other there was boats flipping over and we as a team were just trying to you know navigate this stay out of trouble because it, it really could have been possible for you know races to be ruined before they'd even really got 50 meters down the track you know with um boats making nasty marks in the hulls of other boats and that sort of thing and then again you know the, the adrenaline's pumping we're I, from memory we've got something like a 10 kilometer paddle out in in the open ocean into the open ocean at that point we're hoping that it's when we can put the sail up sail over to the, the first checkpoint, sail onto the other island. But there was just no wind that day. So, you know, we're, we're in these a hot Fijian day, no wind at all, out on the ocean, basically paddling for the whole day. Um, and I think it, it was at that point we realised what sort of a race we were into. You know, things weren't going to go as we expected. Things weren't going to go as planned. So just looking and just watching the... Um... Amazon Prime documentary. Um, some of the some of the teams got to Overlau Island and really started to acutely fatigue. How did you feel when you got to Overlau from that first outrigger journey? 
I mean, we'd, I suppose we'd raced quite conservatively to that point, knowing that it was going to be hot, knowing that we're fair English roses who aren't really used to such extreme sun, such, such extreme heat. So, you know, we made sure that we were regularly drinking, um, eating, eating throughout that first leg. So, look, you know, it was a tough day. We did get to the island and um, there were, were certainly signs of fatigue, but nowhere near the levels of, you know, you see the likes of a US team bend racing and one of their individuals getting into you know, um, difficulty with, with heat stroke. Um, so we were somewhat fortunate. I think we, we had raced conservatively to that point. Yeah, indeed, indeed, and I think that was probably prudent because, like you said, from a you know from a consistency and longevity perspective, you you definitely had to conserve your energy um, because if I'm right in thinking, there was a trek around the island and then you had to come back to the mainland, um, which which in itself wasn't easy. Did you did you do that uh, that sail or paddle back to the mainland overnight, or was that in the day? So we started it. Um, I- in the evening and then effectively overnight back to the island where we needed to dive down to pick up the medallion and then paddle back to, to the mainland. So most of that paddle was done throughout the night. Gosh, gosh. So, um, so Joe, just looking at the team in a l- little bit more detail. So you had Kevin Stevens, who was your team captain, Natalie Long, uh, Tim Stevens, yep. uh, yourself, um, and then you had Joe Watson, who was the tack, the sort of the the, the tactical support, um, making up the UK team. Did you know each other prior to racing? Yeah, so Kevin and I have raced together um, quite a bit before, but never in long expedition races. More in one to take two day uh, mountain marathons, that sort of an event. So for us, it was the first time racing together in in such an event. Kev has raced before with Tim and with Natalie in expedition length races. So I was very much the newbie onto the team, a bit of a ringer, but um, but yeah, hadn't hadn't raced with these guys before. And then, you know, Jill and Jill's our tack, you can never underestimate the job that the, the assistant crew do in terms of um, organising us at camps making sure we've got whatever we need. It was very much a five-person team um, rather than, you know, the four of us an assistant, very much a five-person team. Jill, very experienced racer herself, and I think it was good for us having someone who could show both sides. You know, she, she'd raced before but also supported before, um, so kind of knew what we were going through. Um, but in, in terms of us as a team, Natalie is based in Canada, so actually, the first time I'd met Natalie was maybe three days before the race. Um, obviously, with um, technology nowadays, you know, we've been able to speak quite a bit. And um, we kind of, you know, we, we know that we've both done this sort of thing before. So you're going into that race with confidence that the other person has the experience, has the ability to, to do what they're, they're there to do. Um, but it, it certainly is quite interesting going into an event like that with someone who you don't necessarily know that well. Um, but all, all in all, it, it worked It worked out very well. Fantastic. So, Joe, just looking at the planning phase, um, and how much did you plan for the, for, the, for, the, for the World's Toughest Race? And would you have done anything different in the planning phase? 
I, I think um, the planning phase probably lasted about um, six or seven months. And in that time, a lot of what we were doing changed. So, you know, the information we got right at the start was very limited. We didn't really know what sort of disciplines there would be, or certainly not the length of disciplines. Um, so there was a lot of planning that needed to go into getting the right kit and also getting that kit over to Fiji. Um, you know, nutrition is obviously a really important part of, of any sort of race, but there were some quite um, strict guidelines of what could be imported into Fiji. Um, so we needed to spend quite a bit of time planning in terms of how we might be able to get our nutrition out there, shipping it out beforehand because we knew we wouldn't be able to take it with us in our in our bags. Um, there's a lot of certifications that we had to do. So the, we had to get certificates in the climbing disciplines, um, the white water, um, swift work as well. And all of those things can take time. Um, we also had to, to, to get signed off for, for the medical side of things, two people had to, to get um, signed off. But that, fortunately, we had guys like yourself as backup because I really don't think my 16-hour first aid course would have covered anywhere near the, the likes of some of the things that, you know, you saw other teams experience on, on that. But, but yeah, I, I mean, there is obviously a lot of planning that goes into, into this, both for the environment itself, but also for the team. And I think in hindsight, what we probably would have done as a team differently is try to bring a lot of that planning earlier than we did. You know, so do the certificates early, get that out of the way, get the admin stuff out of the way so that it leaves for the evenings, the weekends close to the race for building up that training. That's fantastic, Joe. Absolutely, absolutely. So I remember seeing you and having a candid conversation with you at uh, at Checkpoint Twenty Two, uh, where you'd just been uh, racing through the night through these cold pools. It was the Highland section, and you know everyone was freezing cold. Uh, you and your team members were freezing cold. But actually, I do re just remember surprisingly you being really quite chipper, quite you know you were really quite really positive still and. You know, the, there was some really good team spirit there. I think the key was at, at that checkpoint, you really get get out of the cold clothes quite quickly and, and get into warm clothes. And I remember sort of sharing out about 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, sharing a cup of coffee with you, just talking about how... How, how the climb was and, and how the swim was through the um, through through the pools um from your perspective what were the what were the lowest points of the race I think there are probably two point two points in the race that really stand out as being quite low for me personally um, so the first one it was um, you mentioned earlier on the river section there was a 60 70 kilometer mountain bike in the lead up to the white water rafting. And so um, the white water rafting had a dark zone. What a dark zone is, is it means the course is closed in the hours of darkness because obviously you can't have teams hurtling down rapids in the middle of the night. So we knew that the white water rafting stage was going to close overnight. We knew that in order to clear it before being hit by the dark zone, we'd need to get there by, I think it was around two o'clock in the afternoon, we'd need to be there. We'd set off on the mountain bike with 
you know, we planned it, we set off on the mountain bike with plenty of time and we were hurtling through this mountain bike, not a care in the world, you know, loving the scenery of Fiji, loving the local villages, really enjoying the race. 17 kilometers from the end of that mountain bike, we hit what we hit what I can only describe as a mud festival. You know, it was suddenly you're there trying to cycle through thick, claggy, sticky mud. And as a team, we know we've got this this cutoff to try and hit so we don't get dark zone and we can just see it slipping further and further away from us. And you know, a, a stage where we may be expected to finish at midday, one o'clock in the afternoon, we actually didn't finish till after dark at seven o'clock at night, which meant, you know, we, we got hit by this dark zone, which meant, you know, instead of getting through the, the rapids, we had to camp before them. And you just, yeah, that realisation as you see that kind of goal slipping away from you and finally when it's gone, and still knowing that you've got however many more kilometres of carrying your bike through this mud, you know, falling over, dropping your bike. It was it was a bit of a low moment. You know, it's, it's one of those times where um, if there was this, if there was a, a car saying, hey, guys, why don't you leave your bikes there? You know, drop out of the race and come and join us now. You know, the temptation would have been quite high but I think the good thing with all these things is you're never able to drop out of the races in these parts because you know you've got to get through them the only way to get out of that mud was to continue pushing a bike carrying a bike trekking to get to the end of it um and look you know the more you move the quicker you'll get to that to that end point but that was certainly one of the low points um the second low point was was just before the waterfall section so there was quite a technical trek before we got to the bottom of a waterfall um and i'm you know for, for those who have, who've watched the series on amazon it's the area that bend racing got lost in it's the area that east wind the japanese team got lost in and effectively we got lost ourselves and you know um I won't mention how lost we got because I want to spare our team's blushes, really. But let's just say, you know, in adventure racing, when you make a mistake, when you make an error, you're not talking and you're not counting errors in terms of seconds and minutes. You know, you're certainly counting errors in terms of multiple hours. So, you know, we we got lost in this section, lost a lot of time there. Um, and, yeah, got quite cold as a team. Whenever you're spending longer in a section than you expect, it means, you know, that food starts to run low. So that was certainly another moment. But the good thing with adventure racing is you're often not too far after a low moment from a high. And certainly finding that waterfall and ascending that waterfall, we managed to hit it just at sunrise. Ascending that waterfall at sunrise, seeing, you know, the sun come up over Fiji, seeing the whole island of Fiji kind of spread out in front of us, it, it, it was by far and away the best experience I've ever had on a race. And, you know, you think, well, if we'd, if we'd had 
the perfect race up to that point and hadn't had any errors during you know the the navigation to get to the, that waterfall, we probably would have ha- hit that section in the dark, you know, and then you wouldn't have had that experience. And likewise, um, one of the tough parts of a race was, as you say, jumping through those cold pools of water after the um, the climb of a waterfall. And again, we it was tough for us. We got cold. I wouldn't have wanted to do that at night. And again, if we hadn't had that, you know, navigation error earlier, we would have been doing that section at night and it would have been even harder for us as a team. So, you know, you, you've got to take the rough with the smooth and these sorts of things. And, um, and, and, and also, you know, you know, the good thing is there's a team of, on the court, there's a team of four, in the camps, there's a team of five of you. You're there to kind of really bring each other up. You know, um, with a team of four, it's unlikely that you're all feeling low at the same point, you know, so you can help each other out. You can maybe carry a bit of each other's weight. You can, you know, tow each other on the bikes, tow each other on the treks, help each other through those low moments to make sure as a team, you're moving as fast as as efficiently as possible. Although I must admit, I think when we got lost on the trek and when we hit that mud section, it was a low moment for the whole team. It wasn't just one of us feeling low. Yeah, looking at that mud section, just from from the footage on Amazon Prime, it, it looked absolutely horrendous. It looked super tricky. But just fast forward, Joe, because I know you yourself um, and and or indeed the team just even towards the finish. So, so there was real poles of, um, of of pathology, really. So there was a lot of hypothermia and a lot of cold people at, at checkpoint 22 and 23. But there was a lot of hyperthermia actually down at the sea level. And just as you were coming into finish, did you, did you struggle with any hypothermia? Yeah, th- thanks for raising that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... Yeah, I, I must admit, you know, from a personal note, a little bit embarrassing, but yeah, so I, that final um, outrigger section out to, to Manor Island, so we, we'd done the first section um, the evening before, and then once again, got dark zoned on the island overnight, and then did the last section the next morning, and so we would have started at 6am, and it was probably a section which lasted, my guess, four hours something like that 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 final paddle um and you know we weren't looking after ourselves as well as we were on the first paddle on the first day weren't drinking as much as we probably had by this time we've got nine ten days of exhaustion nine ten days of cumulative effort on the body um and yeah i'd i'd had a few stomach issues for a couple of days beforehand as well so my body would have been dehydrated, hadn't drunk enough, finished, had violation of finishing. And then I went into the medical tent and, you know, just, just asked for a glass of water and a dirolite. And, you know, it was basically, they probably saw how grey I looked, you know, the you, you'll know far better than me, but the signs of heat stroke, the, the signs of banning a person and said, you know, full credit to the med- medic on the day who basically said, look, why don't you come and take a seat over here? Um, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, I, I just need a little glass of water. I'll, I'll be fine. And they, 
oh, you know, you're here anyway, just have a, have a seat. Let me take your temperature. And took my temperature and it was, I think, you know, 39.7 degrees or, or, or something like that. And, you know, um, after that, they laid me down, put ice on me. So my, my race very much finished in a medical tent rather than, you know, um, sipping champagne as we'd maybe been planning for the past 24 hours when the finish line started to come into sight. Absolutely. Well, to be to to be fair, Joe, there, I think there was a, a, a lot of uh, fatigue, and like you said, it was the attrition of of the arduousness on the body over that duration of time. So I don't think you were the only one to 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 be so acutely fatigued um, in that in that moment. But just looking, so just just panning back slightly and looking at the disciplines, the ten domains of disciplines. Um, was there any discipline that you guys struggle with the most? So that we know that there was this billy billying, which was just a, a very much an indigenous rafting, which I think was a new domain to everybody. But there, was there any any one domain of, of 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 discipline that you guys struggle with as a team? I mean, I think as a team, we're not the strongest paddlers, um, so that was always going to be a struggle. And then, if you look at the the volume of paddling, particularly at the start of a race. Um, that was a struggle struggle for us as a team. Um, we, we'd never trained together in, in things like the outrigger or the kamakau, and, and and they're disciplines where team teams can really come together, you know, with the timing of paddling and that sort of thing. So so I think that's an area that we struggled with, certainly the paddling side, um, over and above other teams. Um, but Billy Billy Rafting was. Um, I think I went through every single emotion on that Billy Billy raft. So, you know, it 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 wasn't it it wasn't a stage that you look at and you think, oh, you, you know, that's going to be um, that's going to be particularly tough. But we we didn't know about the Billy Billy rafting before 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 the race. We had an idea because it had been included in the Eco Challenge when it was last held in Fiji. So we'd, you know, as a team, we'd worked out, but if we were going to do Billy Billy rafting, this is how we'd build it. These were the knots we were going to use. So we'd at least kind of thought about that. One thing we hadn't necessarily thought about was how we were going to move these Billy Billy rafts. So you get down to these Billy Billy rafts and, you know, um, we tried every possible way to get these rafts to move faster than they were doing. You know, we were standing up, um, doing the kind of windmill um, type paddling. We were sat down trying to use normal paddling. We, we stopped at the side of a river, cut down new bamboo and used the machete we had to try and fashion um, uh, kayak style paddles. No matter what we did, it didn't work. We were not moving any faster at all. It was just going to be one of those legs where you just needed to get your head down, keep paddling and hope that the end would come soon enough, you know, but my arms were just burning coming off that Billy Billy raft. It was, yeah, it, it, it was quite, it, it was quite the stage. Absolutely. So anyone who's not familiar with, and certainly I wasn't familiar with Billy Billy rafting, you're right, it's a cross section of bamboo uh, poles, which are then, um, which are then tied together with a, a selection of knots 
and then and then another bamboo pole for the the actual paddle itself isn't it so it's it's, so it's a selection of poles and then you you're you're, and then you're paddling with the pole which seems in itself quite counterintuitive and it just looked very difficult for, for for all involved really um and yeah and 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 just even lashing them together seems, you know, seemed really difficult because because if they come apart on the river, that's your that that's that's that section of the race over. So I can imagine it was very challenging. So so Joe, just um, just 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 looking at your uh, highest point, you mentioned you mentioned climbing up the uh, the waterfall at sunrise and just looking over Fiji. Um, and just just really sort of surveying the land and just just you know just appreciating how far away you are from the UK from your office job from the concrete jungle was that one of the highest points for you or was there any other high points in 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 the race I, I think um, it can sometimes be difficult in in a race to to enjoy the moments because you know you're you're sometimes you're sometimes wanting those stages to be over. You know, you're you're you start the race and you're like, right, we need to get through the the paddling because then we can get to the trek, and then we need to get through to the trek so that we can get, then get on the next stage. Then we need to get through the, you know, that so we can get on the standard paddleboarding. And I, I think it's important as a racer to kind of step back at, at times and kind of realise what an environment you're in and the reason you're doing it because, you know, as, as you'll have seen from the show, they took us through some absolutely incredible places, you know, be, being, having that opportunity to paddle those, you know, the, the Kamakau canoes out into the ocean, past all these tropical islands. It, it, it's incredible, you know, we, we, we raced the outrigger at the end at sunset out of Fiji, you know, so you're, you're racing this outrigger on the ocean, the sun setting behind you, just some incredible, incredible experiences, you know, and I, I think it is important to take that step back and, and take those moments to actually enjoy what you're doing and not kind of feel, get into race mode almost, and I want this to be over. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so if you had your time again, would you have done anything differently in the race? I, I mean, look, you know, it's a race that, that you know, spent, we, we, we were on course for nine, ten days. So it, as you look back, there's always going to be moments where you think, oh, I wish we'd done this differently. I wish we'd, you know, not made the, the mistake there. Um there's only the top teams have perfect races. And even then, you know, you'll be look, they'll be looking back at it and thinking, you know what, we we could have saved an hour or two here if we'd done this differently. I think the one thing I would change is maybe we should have pushed before that whitewater rafting section to find those extra couple of hours in the course to mean we could have done that white water rafting section before getting dark zone. But but look, you know, in all honesty, we had a we had a good race. We completed the course. I don't think you can be too disappointed. Um, and, you know, there's always going to be more races to do. There's always going to be times to correct the navigation errors, um, correct the error of your ways. Um, so, yeah. 
Absolutely. So Joe, just just as we're coming into land on the conversation, um, is there any advice you'd give to teams that might be preparing to do the World's Toughest Race again in the future? And then there's the second question on the back of that is, is are you uh, considering uh, a potential entry into, into, into next year's World's Toughest Race? Yeah, so so um, second question first. Yes, we, we'd put another entry in. Um, we'd absolutely love to be out there in Patagonia um, racing there. Um, and if if not that, we, we've also entered a, another couple of adventure races once COVID kind of allows people to travel again in the, in the hope that we can at least get a few um, expedition races in next year. Um, in terms of advice for people wanting to get into either adventure racing or indeed do will suffers race the only advice i can do it give is just do it <laughs> you know get out there and, and do it like it, it it truly is a fantastic sport taking you to wonderful places around the world and um it it, it can feel daunting if you haven't raced for that long before the truth is though you'll never know if whether you can do it or not without trying it so the advice is just to you know, to throw caution to the, to the wind, jump in there and, and give it a go. Um, in terms of specific advice for World's Toughest Race, for, for anyone look, lucky enough to get in, I'd say, I'd go back to a comment I made earlier and say, just try and get all the admin stuff done as soon as possible. You know, um, do, do get the certificates out of the way, work out what kit you want to take, and try and move that admin stuff because it's amazing how much admin is involved in in getting five people to the start line. Try and do it early so you can leave that time for training. You know, uh, as you get uh, closer to the event. Absolutely, absolutely. So one, one thing I, I realised when I was out there looking at all the teams, and I think the the UK the GB team raced with with this kit was the hype was it the hyperlight kit it's a very much lightweight yes, yeah. rucksacks lightweight kit to trying to minimize weight yeah so look you know when you're when you're trekking for those sorts of distances you're you're doing those sorts of distances weight obviously becomes very important but actually more important than weight is having the right amount the right kit you know um you need to be able to prepare for any scenario. You don't want to be getting um, hyperthermic or, you know, hyper or hyperthermia on, on the races. So you want to be taking enough stuff with you. You want to have enough water for you. You want to have enough food. You want to have enough layers. So if the temperatures do drop, you, you can put on fresh coat clothes. So, so weight is certainly important but more important i i feel is having the right equipment with you so that you're not going to get into difficulties on a race absolutely and just one of my final revelations as we come into lanjo um from your perspective because i saw this a lot from the medical tent was how how important is it to look after your feet uh, it, it's the number one thing I think for a race of that sort of distance, looking after the feet. Um, we certainly on the treks we stopped a number of times to kind of wash our feet, clean our feet, put um, you know medicate the feet. It's the first thing we did in the camp whenever we arrived. Look after your feet. It's the last thing we did before we left the camp. Sort your feet out. Um, you know for for the next stage we. 
I, I'd say, you know, I probably spent more time looking after my feet than any other part of the body during that stage. Um, and even then, towards the end of it, we were starting to get signs of, of the dreaded jungle rot in our feet. Um, and that was despite the amount of time we spent traveling after them during, during the race. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Joe. You know, I one of the things that my, one of my revelations was just that meticulous foot care, and that you had to be meticulous about hygiene because, and, and just trying to keep your feet as dry as possible because over the longevity of the race. So, looking at your race, Joe, I mean, it, it, you came in at two hundred eight hours and twenty four minutes, finishing tw- in twenty second place. But so that's that's a, that's an extremely long period of time to be almost constantly on the go you know, grabbing a couple of hours sleep here or there. But um, did so having that meticulous self-care over, over that duration is is almost a requirement to, to almost just, just be able to complete the race. Um, did you, did, 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 was that the case across your team members? Did, 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 did everyone in the team have that meticulous foot care and or uh, self-care? Yeah, so you know, we very much um, took took those sorts of decisions as a team. Everyone in on our team had raced these sorts of races before, and particularly knowing the environment we're racing in, knowing how how important foot care was, you know, we would make sure that as a team we were looking out for each other, and you know, looking out for people drinking, looking out for people eating. But in particular, looking out and making sure we were all looking after our feet, um, sorting them out in, in camps when we got there, stopping as a team to to address foot care issues as soon as as soon as they would arise. Um, it, it's so important that you do think as a team in, in these sorts of events, because look, three of you could have absolutely perfect feet if one of you has issues with with feet then then that could be the game you know that could be the race over for all of you because it's very difficult to carry someone for you know 670 kilometers absolutely and like you said it, it really notions towards how much of a team event it is really because it's almost not your ability to take care of your own feet or your own health it's your ability to make sure everyone is, is doing so um because you're only as strong as your as your weakest member absolutely so coming into land the final question, Joe. Just re, re, um, just as we as we finish, how was just looking back at the whole experience? How how if if you could sort of summarize it, how was it for you and the team? I mean, I think I've used this adjective a few times in in the course of, of our discussion, and I'd like to find a better one to use, but. Um, the one I land on is just is unbelievable. You know, it, it the, the the race itself, the event itself was so well done, so well planned. Having all those teams from across the, the globe, um, you know, meeting wonderful people who both races, but also you know, the local communities within Fiji were all so welcoming, so happy. Um, that opportunity to race in these in these places across those oceans, up those rivers, over those highlands, places that you wouldn't get to see as a tourist, were just yeah. I, I run out of superlatives. I run out of adjectives when trying to describe it. it it's just by far away the best racing experience I've ever had. That's fantastic, Joe. Listen, I really appreciate 
your time today and just your perspectives because they're really unique you know you're the only gb team there representing the uk and it was just it was just not only fantastic to see you racing um but just to see that you guys finished you know you you, you finished 22nd it was fantastic time and place to finish and just completing the world's toughest race itself so yeah it was it was just a real privilege to see you guys race Thank you very much. Well, I mean, look, certainly we wouldn't have been there or certainly I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to finish without the support of, you know, the medical teams and, and stuff like that. So, you know, the things that you guys do is it, it allows these sorts of events to not only take place, but it actually allows competitors to complete them. You know, the, the filming never goes into how many people would have been in those medical tents, in those camps, having blisters looked at, having little rashes looked at, having cuts kind of seen to so that they didn't become infected, you know. And, and without that medical support, and not just for, it's not just the medical support, it's actually the knowledge of the medics, seeing the issues before they become serious, um, you know, I, I felt it from a personal level and as a team, we felt it as well, you know, in terms of the, the little bits of care that were given to us throughout the race and um, we certainly wouldn't have been able to do it. So keep doing what you're doing, keep spreading the knowledge, spreading the knowledge, uh, spreading awareness and uh, yeah, hope to see you out either with you racing or with you behind the, the medical team at some event in the future. Absolutely, Joe. Listen, absolutely. I, I hope to be there with you guys in Patagonia, uh, taking care of more feet, uh, but also certainly, certainly cheering on the the, the 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 GB team. So, listen, it's been a pleasure, Joe, and thanks for your time today. Thanks so much, Joe. Really appreciate it.